0: The text for this morning's sermon is uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. John 3, 1 through 21. As you can see in the bulletin, we'll be looking at uh, relying on God for supernatural power. John 3, 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus said to him, "'How can these things be?' Jesus answered him, "'Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things?' but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God.
1: Let's pray. Father, I ask that You would work now in power through Your Word, through Your Spirit. God, I know that nothing can be done to change our lives, to save us apart from supernatural power. So God, I ask that You would work for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, today's message is entitled, the title is The Charge, Rely on God for Supernatural Power. My reliance on God to work has been magnified for me in the last three weeks. I got to spend a couple weeks in Africa. I got to spend a week as as a pastor uh, for 3rd through 6th graders at a camp. And the theme through all of it was recognition of my lack of power for anything good to come from the ministry in Africa, the preaching of the Word in Africa, or the preaching of the Word to children. And I had to ask the question, After my first day in Africa in the village, sharing the Gospel, seeing the spiritual battle, seeing the power of the Gospel at work in ways I had never seen before, I had to begin to ask a question I didn't have a clear answer to at the time. Why does God seem more powerful in Africa in America. Why have I been a Christian for so long? And if you asked me what I learned after the first day in the village, I would have said something as silly as, I know God is real and the Holy Spirit is powerful. And I know Satan's real. And anyone would say, Well, yeah, you've been a pastor for 11 years. So, what's my problem? See, this is the question going through my mind is, why? Why the magnification of my inability to do anything and the need for God to work and see Him work and then be amazed? Why? What's wrong with me? See, that's what I've been chewing on. It would about kill me not to share what I've been seeing in God's Word and God's been showing me about my inability in God's sufficiency. So that's my prayer that that gets translated to some degree by the work of the Spirit If you look in your notes, behind each point are different Scriptures. Uh, That's basically where I'm going to be turning throughout this message. So if you want to keep up in your Bible, that will give you a guideline. And I want you not just to listen to me, but to see it in the Scripture and to ask yourself, "Do do I believe these things? So, why did I see the Spirit's power in such an obviously strong way? Well, one of the answers I got was in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 9. In this text, Paul says something that was just enlightening for me to see. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8-9. through nine. He wants this church to be aware of affliction that he's experienced. Not for some selfish looking for pity, but look at the reason. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Here's the reason why. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead." He said, the suffering to the point of death was so that you, Paul, who's a minister of the gospel, would quit relying on your own skill or your own strength in trusting God who can raise the dead. I didn't think I was going to die. But I was challenged beyond my skill level. I did not know the language of where I was. I had never shared the Gospel with the Muslim. I was in a culture I didn't understand or have that great a grasp of. I realized the missionaries I I was with were more capable than myself from a worldly perspective. So no wonder I began to rely less on skill or comfortability in sharing the Gospel and had to plead for God to work. God showed me His power like I've never seen before when He brought me to a place where I would know it had zero to do with me in my skill? That's one answer I think I got. Why? Why does it seem like fruit? Because it, it couldn't have come from you. Just meditate on that. It was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead and then ephesians 6:10 through 12 i felt differently i realized the doubt i had in my heart in the reality of this text that's so familiar to so many of us the armor of god passage in ephesians 6 starting in verse 10 Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you believe that? Your life does not consist of fighting against flesh and blood, but against cosmic forces of demons in heavenly places. If you believe that, and I believe that, you quit trying to work in your own strength. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. What hope do we have against the spiritual forces of darkness in and of ourselves? I was amazed at how clear the spiritual battle was that I saw. And as I saw it, I knew that I was 100% a wimp to deal with the obvious opposition of the Gospel that I was seeing, the disruption that would come nearly every time. And it caused me to pray more. It humbled me. And then these verses just came alive. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. When Paul is reminding this church about the reality of his ministry to them, when he says, 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 1, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In Corinth, the superstar of the village was the orator, not the basketball player. It was the one who could stand up in the courts and amaze people by their words. Paul says, I didn't come to you speaking like that, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. You know how often I've gotten up before you to preach the Gospel? in personal strength and confidence and trust in my skill. And the Apostle Paul says, when I came, I came in weakness. He's a man bringing the Word of God to eternal souls, and he cannot save a soul in and of himself. He said, this is how I came. In weakness and fear and much trembling, in my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but get this, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Here's what he told the church. You're not Christians because I was the best orator in town. You're Christians because a supernatural miracle happened as deaf people heard and blind people saw and dead hearts came alive. It's absolutely a demonstration of power. When was the last time you sat there in shock and awe that you actually want to read your Bible. The fact, you know, if we watch God create the world, we can read about it, we can see it by faith as we look, read Genesis 1-2, 1-2. And we say, what a miracle! What power must God have? Well, here's my question. What's a greater miracle? That God spoke the world into being? Or He called a spiritually dead person a spiritual soul that does not exist to life? When I was in Africa, I tasted things I didn't like. And if someone would have came up to me and said, okay, okay, eat it again, only this time, like it. Have your taste buds love it. I'd say, well, sorry, but I can't change my taste buds. I can't change and all of a sudden... That would take a miracle. Well, if you're following Jesus Christ, the most impossible miracle happened. The God you found boring... Became your life. In the sin you found as the very most precious thing to you, in the place where you sought life, you no longer seek life there, but as you go there, you repent and you turn and you ask God to change you. How does that happen? Why do we stop being in absolute amazement at the power of God. It's because we don't realize that we were really dead. If I was to ask you what salvation is, and if someone told me a decision, I would laugh. A decision. Really. You heard words and you decided true. That is not salvation. That doesn't change any taste buds. So the second point, first point is, do not rely on yourself for what only God can do. By the way, what is that? That's the everything. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. When should you rely on your own strength? Never. That's point one. One. Point two, stand in awe of the miracle of the new birth. John 3 may be one of the most missed texts in all of Scripture. If you were to ask someone, what is the main point of the first 21 verses of John 3? Almost everyone's going to go to John 3.16. But I just want to quickly read through this text with you and ask the question, what is the point? What is the point here? So, John 3, Jesus just got, we just found out at the end of John 2 that Jesus knows people's hearts. He knows what's in man. And now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. He came to Him by night because he feared his people knowing that he was talking to Jesus. Later, he's called the ruler or the teacher in Israel. So this is the primo teacher, spiritual teacher in Israel. Comes to Jesus by night and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And Jesus answers a question he doesn't ask because he's reading Nicodemus's heart. Nicodemus's real question is, he's saying, we know you're from God because you're doing miracles. He doesn't understand he's the Son of God yet. He doesn't even understand spiritual things. And Jesus is showing him that he is not getting into the kingdom of God as the teacher of Israel. So here's what Jesus says. The question that's really on Nicodemus' heart. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born... When he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? How can this be? This is impossible. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, they didn't have chapter and verse in Jesus' day. The way you pointed to a text is you quoted from it. And Jesus is quoting from Ezekiel chapter 36 when He's talking about water and Spirit. The One who is born of water and Spirit. The prophet Ezekiel is laying forth the new birth. The climax of the new covenant. The good news for the people that they're all waiting for. Here's what Ezekiel 36.23 says. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Now notice the pronouns. Who's acting in this? Which you have profaned among the nations. Which you have profaned among them and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. He says, you're my people, and you've done nothing but profane my name, but now I'm about to do something that when people look at it, they're going to sit there in shock and awe at what happens. And here's what he's going to do. I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. There's the water. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. There's the spirit and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart of flesh. He says, I'll take out your dead heart that doesn't feel and I'll make it alive. I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, unless I, God, the Holy Spirit, Does this work in you? You will not see the kingdom of God. In verse 6, he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. If I'm hoping for spiritual birth in the people I'm talking to, where's my reliance? Is it in flesh? Does flesh give birth to flesh? Spirit gives birth to spirit. The lesson, the lesson here is huge. How often are you 50% flesh, 50% spirit, and you want a spiritual work to be done? Or 90% flesh and 10% spirit, and you want a spiritual work to be done? That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Well, Nicodemus, he can do anything. He's the teacher of Israel. How do I do it? What, What do I do? Well, the Spirit of God works as He wills. It's like the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind is what he's saying. That's how the Spirit works. Not very man-centered thus far. Truly, truly, I say to you... And then in verse 10, he says, or Nicodemus says to him in verse 9, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? He's saying the whole Old Testament is pointing forward to a new covenant where there needs to be a supernatural birth in the hearts of people. And you don't know these things? You don't understand how salvation is going to come? And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you have not received our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. There's only one person who knows what goes on in heaven. It's the one who came down from heaven. And then he says, "...and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness..." so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. He points to this incident when Israel had been taken out into the wilderness. They're complaining again. They don't like their food. They don't like the provision from God. So God says, fine, I'm going to send snakes and they're going to bite you and you're all going to start dying. And as they were bit and as they're dying, they cry out and say, oh, we're so sinful. We're so ungrateful. Forgive us. And God in His mercy tells Moses, go make a bronze or copper snake. Put it on a pole. Anyone who looks at it will be healed. They won't die. They'll they'll have physical life. And Jesus is saying... The Son of Man must be lifted up on the pole if you want eternal life. So that's what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus here. Verse 15 says, whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And then the famous verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. If some of you struggle with thinking of God the Father as a big meanie and Jesus stands between the mean father and pays for your sins so that he can love you, you've never understood verse 16. God in His love before Christ died for you, God in His love sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a fact. Whoever trusts in the Son will have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him." That was the point. Whoever believes in Him, in case you haven't picked up on the reality, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here's where people quit reading. It's true. Whoever believes in the Son will be saved. But verse 19 says, here's the verdict. It might say, here's the judgment. Here's what happened, though. Light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Here's my question. Are your works evil? Are you a sinner like the rest of mankind? Everyone who was evil hated the light because their deeds were evil. Look at verse, look at verse uh, twenty. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So let's stop here. Whoever believes in the Son will be saved. Whoever doesn't believe won't be saved. Here's the verdict. No one believed. They were all sinners. They all loved their sin. But I know what you're thinking. But some did believe. You're right. What is Jesus trying to teach in this passage? He sums it up for us. I think the point of the passage is verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. Some people did. Why? So that it may be clearly seen that His works have been carried out in God. You see the point? You must be born of the Spirit. You must be born of God. A person is saved by faith, but Christ came into the world and there was no faith. But then when there was faith, the point was not that that person was so wise, but that a supernatural miracle happened in their heart when they believed. This is not a decision. The decision was made. They hated the light. A dead soul does not love God, does not love spiritual things. And so Jesus rightly teaches You need a new birth. And if you're born again today, my prayer is you stand in awe at the power of God of the absolute miracle that has happened. You see, we're crazy. We're so sinful when we don't realize this. The absolute miracle of our faith. I know in the NIV, verse 21 is unhelpful the way it's translated. It says something like this, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so it may be clearly seen that his works have been in the sight of God. Done in the sight of God. But the word there is ergazomai. Uh, it means Work. So that your deeds can be shown to be a work of God. That's the point. It's not that the work's done in front of God. It's that the work would never happen apart from God. Turn to Ephesians 2 if you have your Bibles. And I just want to show you this kind of rapid fire. I just saw this with more reality by the grace of God. These are passages you're probably familiar with, but just stand in awe with me. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work In the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Here's what he's saying. You were a person who, whatever the world system was doing, you were going along with. Whatever Satan was leading you to, you were going along with. Whatever the desire of your heart was, if it was lust, if it was evil, if it was greed, you went after. He sums it up by saying you were all by nature children of wrath. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. That's who you are. It's the only thing that can happen. We're spiritually dead. But then, look at verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, stand in awe, resurrection, spiritual resurrection, made us alive with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only were you made alive, but you're brought into the family of God and Jesus' inheritance is your inheritance and you will be right there in the family of the Godhead so that in the coming ages, here's eternity, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness for us in Christ Jesus. It's never going to end. Every day more riches, more grace in all eternity is going to be poured on your head and you're going to know you're 100% undeserving and you're going to sing to the praise of His glorious grace. Because you were dead. You didn't become smart and get saved and make a decision. God worked supernaturally. Paul says, I came. It was spirit and power. It wasn't wisdom of this age and just understanding. It's miraculous. And then verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Now, let's talk about this for a sec. For by grace, grace is in the feminine in the Greek. For by grace, that's feminine, you have been saved through faith which is in the feminine. And then it says, and this, the question is, what's this? The grace or the faith? This is in the neuter tense, which means it grabs the whole statement. I mean, this clears the bell in the Greek. It grabs the whole statement before. And this, both the grace and the faith, is a gift of God. And this is not your own doing. The grace, the faith, It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are a hundred percent reliant on the grace of God. Even our faith, He's the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews says. Isn't it amazing? When we were dead, He made us alive. Here's how Titus, let me, let me show you verse 10. Tell me if this is not like John 3. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prayed uh, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember John 3.21 says, the ones who are doing good works coming to the light is to show that those works have been wrought in God. Paul says it this way. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We weren't the first cause of our salvation. We were dead. And by the grace of God, when someone was preaching the Gospel, you heard it. When the person next to you probably didn't, and you believed not because you were smarter, but because of His glorious grace so that you wouldn't boast and I wouldn't boast. Here's how Titus says it. Titus 3, verses 3-7. through It's just a condensed version. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. It's another way to say slaves to sin. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to His own mercy by the washing, there's the water, of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. There's the Spirit again. There's the new birth. By whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then, 1 Corinthians 12. I know we're running out of time here. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 3. When Paul's talking about the spiritual gifts here, this is just so good to see. Now, concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when we were pagans, we were led astray by mute idols, however, you were led. Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse and no one can say Jesus is lord except in the holy spirit what's he teaching here it's not that a person can't say Jesus is lord the the words a person can't say that and believe it apart from the holy spirit just another way of saying if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Paul's saying here, if you make that confession, a supernatural miracle will happen. Only by the spirit of God does a dead heart say that. So I just re-reminded. What's God's called me to ministry. He's called you to ministry. Why do we ever hope in the flesh when the only thing that can solve a dead person's problem is the one who can resurrect the dead. Point three, remember the supernatural nature of your life in your job as an ambassador. Be in awe of your new birth recognize if you're saved, if your taste buds have been... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this illustration even though I pray I don't have time. What happens when a person gets saved? The best illustration I've ever heard is one Charles Spurgeon gave, and I know I've said it here before. If you were in a banquet hall and you had a whole bunch of nice plates of food up here, and you had buckets of slop up here, and you turned pigs loose, what would the pigs go after? Spurgeon said they would go after the slop. That's what pigs eat. But Spurgeon said, what if in a miracle a pig would turn into a human being? What what would happen if in a moment when that head is in the slop bucket, you became a person? All of a sudden, you would taste this awful taste and you'd begin to throw up what you were eating. And you would look around and you would feel shame that your head was in this slop bucket. He says this is what it's like when a person gets saved and you recognize where you've been. So you go sit down and you start eating human food. A few weeks go by. All of a sudden, the slop buckets are clanking. The pigs start going crazy. And the person says, I used to love this. I used to live for the slop bucket. Walks over, kneels down in the slop bucket, begins to eat, starts to vomit up again. Why am I here again? I don't like this anymore. My taste buds don't like this. You're not perfect as a Christian. But when you go to the slop bucket, your taste buds have been changed. You know that there's life in Christ and there's not life in your sin anymore. Has that happened? The last point. Remember the supernatural nature of your life and your job as ambassadors. Look at Second Corinthians five sixteen. Second Corinthians five sixteen. From now on, therefore, he just said, You're gonna think I'm out of my mind, and I am from a human perspective, but the love of Christ is controlling me. He's saying, I'm not crazy. Christ is controlling me and the world thinks Jesus is crazy. From now on, therefore, he says, regard no one according to the flesh. He's talking to Christians. You don't view people like the flesh anymore. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The oldest passed away. Behold, the new is come. All this is from God, who through us are, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So let's just stop here for a second. Don't regard people according to the flesh, Christian. They're new creations. It is real. You, a person can be unrecognizable on the inside. And the satanic lie that Satan tells Christians is things like this, well, I'm German, so I'm going to be cold-hearted and unloving. I'm a redhead, so I'm just going to tell you how it is. My family's been this way. I've, we can make up a thousand satanic lies about why we are the way we are. Jesus Christ can change you so that you're unrecognizable. The most harsh, rude person can become the most docile, compassionate, loving person. And I know you want to talk to me about personality charts and everything else, but Jesus Christ is your goal. And if you don't look like Jesus Christ, then your personality needs to change and the Holy Spirit can change it in Christ. It's not, it's not just a nice saying, the old is gone, the new has come. God really does change people. And then He gives them the ministry of reconciliation. You see that? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. Here's your job as a Christian. You're to speak on God's behalf. Good news. You're not in the flesh anymore. God's going to speak through you. The power is going to come from Him. The mission God's called you to, to be ambassadors, to speak on God's behalf, to tell people they can be reconciled to God, isn't based off your skill or your power. There's no one here who is not equipped, who's a Christian, to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's the point. And what's our message? For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We can tell people. Jesus died to take your sinful life. When He died on the cross, He paid for your sins. In His life, you could never live, is given to you. You can be gifted the righteousness of God in Christ. We have the best news in the world to tell people you can be reconciled to God. You might not; They might not admit it, they're afraid to death of dying. Everyone you know is. Eternity in their heart, and you know, and God's called you to tell. And He's gifted you with the Spirit. The final text, 2 Corinthians 3, 1-6. Let me just read this to you. Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He's saying, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Oh, so you need us to bring some letters so you will listen to us, he's saying? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation. Written on our hearts to be known and read by all and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not in ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards you and God. He says, here's our letter. Your changed life. It's impossible. We preached. Your lives changed. That's, that's our commendation. The Spirit worked in power. But then he says this, verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. He says, don't get me wrong. Don't think we're saying it's about us, that we claim anything comes from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Paul says, I'm nothing, but God in the power of His Spirit has made me sufficient in this ministry of the new covenant to tell people they can be born again. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The only reason why I can tell you go share your faith is because I know you're insufficient, but I know God's sufficient. That's why God will use you when you don't think He can. I think that's why God used me in ways that was so obvious to me. He had to humble me first, remind me that all sufficiency is from God. I don't know what hardships you're going through. I don't know where you're at in your life right now, but I know this. Maybe it's there to make you quit relying on yourself and rely 100% in the God that you need. Application. Four things. Be courageous in your Christian life because the Spirit's with you. Two, meditate on God's power in your weakness. You tell Him every morning, I'm weak and I need you. Third, pray. See, we'll pray more if we need a spiritual work to be done. We won't just go do, we'll pray. And finally, if you want the Spirit of God powerful in your life, be in the Word that the Spirit inspired. That's, that's how He's going to strengthen you. Father, I pray that faith was strengthened this morning. I pray that hearts grasp the sufficiency of who You are in Your power and how the fact that we're even Christians had nothing to do with us birthing ourselves, flesh birthing flesh. But when we confess Christ, yes, we need to believe to be saved. But to recognize that Even our belief needed grace behind it. Lord, I pray that You would show Yourself powerful in America, in Aberdeen, in our lives as we are humbled and our hope is in You. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.